Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 285 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to welcome and give a big TKMR thank you to our new sponsor, Noda, powered by M&T Bank. Noda is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, Noda. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank the ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And if you haven't noticed lately, there are so many new podcasts announcing their very first podcast these days. It seems to be um, the new trend uh, in in times of pandemic. Uh, During all these times, we occasionally like to mention that at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. So in our last episode, we talked about the fourth and final pillar of our second brain personal knowledge management project, sharing. We're seeing a lot of discussion lately about alternative legal careers, and we decided to cover that topic in this episode. So Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about the growth in alternative legal career opportunities. Uh, In our second segment, we're going to do another round of our new hot or not segment. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, alternative legal and legal tech careers. Over the past few years, we've been seeing more and more people going to law school and fewer and fewer actually jobs becoming available. Uh, But on the other hand, we're seeing a good deal of growing demand for people with a law school education uh, to take on what I would call law-adjacent, legal-adjacent jobs or law-related jobs. It it would appear that law degrees are not just for lawyering anymore. Dennis, uh, let's start by asking you what you even mean by alternative legal careers, and then I'll I'll come back in and see if I want to modify that slightly. Okay, so I, I think that there's always there's been a tradition of people going to law school and, and using their law degree not to practice law. So you know, people go into politics, they go into you know policy, other things like that. But I, I think that in the last let's say ten years, we're we're seeing more of uh, a change to the way legal work is done into specific kind of skill set areas and more focused areas that are not the traditional practice of law that you would imagine in a law firm or in a corporate law department. 
and and we're we're seeing a lot of these categories. So some relate to technology. Some relate to uh, it's, it's, I think there's more policy work out there. There's project management. There's a whole new area called legal operations and the whole area of e-discovery, where people have moved from. Uh, you know, I would say the bulk of lawyers don't really try cases anymore. They're involved in, in discovery and then e-discovery and then this whole, uh, you know, very big field of, of uh, e-discovery and litigation support. So I think the, as we see uh, law, especially in, the, in sort of bigger cases and bigger projects, you sort of see the specialization happening. And so having the background in law plus technology, plus, uh, you know, project management, plus uh, something else uh, can can open up a, a really interesting career that I, I think the term that you use, Tom, law adjacent or legal adjacent is is really descriptive of. And and we're just seeing a lot more of that and and more interest in it, which I think is 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 sort of my take on it. So I don't know whether you agree with that. I've kind of covered the whole waterfront there. Well, I sort of agree with it, but I but I think that I sort of view, uh, you know, if you go out and look, if you go out and do just a Google search for alternative legal careers, what you're going to find is jobs that are suited to people who are otherwise trained to be lawyers and maybe have some experience as lawyers, but don't want to be lawyers anymore. The, the, you know, and we'll talk about my particular story, which is that exactly where I was. I was trained to be a lawyer, but I didn't want necessarily to practice law anymore. And you know, the waterfront for those types of jobs are, it's like all sorts of things. What, what are the jobs that are best suited to a skills otherwise acquired by a lawyer? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But what you're describing to, to me, um, and, and I think that lately that idea has been expanded to mean what you describe, jobs for law students who aren't able necessarily to find work as lawyers or who want to do something slightly different. And we've talked, we, you've mentioned all of these kind of emerging areas that are opening up. I'm going to make the argument throughout this segment that a law school education isn't necessarily required for many of them. There are things that people can do without a law school. Some of these law firm jobs that people can do. And in fact, when it comes to legal ops, there are probably some other skills that would be better than a law school education for some legal operations jobs. Um, but I think that... Um, I, I think that the, the, the way I want to think about it is, you know, these are jobs that are, like we said, law adjacent, working with and among lawyers, but not practicing law. That's kind of how I think we're at least choosing to focus for the most part on that during this podcast today. So, Tom, let me follow up with you, because I, I think that your your story that you alluded to of sort of moving from practicing law to would probably be called lit support uh, to e-discovery to information governance and, and what you do today was sort of newish at the time you were doing it. But um, I think all of those those separate paths are now um, options for lawyers that people might start out in right out of law school or early in their career. So maybe it's worth, uh, but it, to me, it is worth sketching out your story for, for the audience. Well, and I'll start at the beginning because I think that my path would not have been as easy if I had not had the initial experience of being a lawyer. I think it would have been 
significantly different and I, I can't say better or worse, but well, what I might have not have been as good. Um, yeah, I was a lawyer for 18 years. Um, midway through being a lawyer, I realized I'm, I'm not a fan of the billable hour. I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not a rainmaker. I like representing clients. I like doing work. If I had, you know, could tie my wagon to somebody who was bringing in the work, I would have been happy to be a practicing lawyer for a long period of time. But but as as is the model at most law firms, you've got to bring in the work in order to stay in, employed. And so I started shifting to more of a litigation support role where I was uh, I, I, litigation. And I, I will say it was litigation support is a loose term um, because I was training lawyers on basic use of technology in the firm. I designed our firm's website. Um, I uh, helped select software products for the firm. Um, I, I suppose my biggest lit support was I went to trial um, and did trial presentation for most of the attorneys who were going there, and I was sitting behind doing the trial presentation, at which I think that as a practicing lawyer, I, 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 actually, I actually was in trials where they would come back to me sitting at the table presenting and ask me legal questions. They, hey, how would you handle this? Or we, we want to make a Batson challenge to this jury because there's a problem with it. And uh, I think it really served me well. Um, things got more demanding that I do lawyer things at the law firm. And so I finally decided, you know what, I need to strike out and do other things. And at the time, e-discovery, very hot. Uh, it was the, the, the place to be. Uh, went with a company that was trying to expand kind of the into the e-discovery consulting area, working with companies on, on helping them with their e-discovery issues. That was not the successful business it should have been, um, and I found myself looking for uh, work soon after that. And what I like about information governance is, is that I still get to work with lawyers. I spend most of my time working with lawyers and thinking about legal things. I still do legal research for record retention schedules and do citations. So I'm still using my legal analytical brain to do these things, but I am not practicing law, um, but I am doing many of the skills that I was taught in law school, which is what I really think of with alternative legal careers um, and, and that law school helped prepare me for specifically. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when I compare what I did, I for a long time, I just thought I did kind of traditional you know, traditional practice, but in sort of very new areas of law. But I, looking back now, I realized that there was always this tech component that that I was I was doing. So you know, uh, like the original technology committees at firms I was on, and then also a lot of things that, again, looking back, were were innovation projects. Um, that were part of what I was doing. Plus, I was, ex, you know, explaining and, um, you know, being involved with technology at, at firms and then trying to improve processes in, in what became more systematic ways as uh, as time time went on, but not in the structured ways that, that I see now and, and that we talk about in the classes that, that I teach. Um, so I, I think that, though, and I also saw the evolution of, you know, like the, the beginning of legal ops and e-discovery and, and how there you could have a really 
uh, specialized skill set and be involved in law and sometimes in much more interesting ways than what I saw lawyers uh, lawyers doing. So that's that's sort of my uh, part of it, but I, I, I or sort of my history, and I think that uh, I I want to touch on what I think is the big new area when I think of alternative. Uh, lawyering is is this uh, the area of, of legal operations. So I want to kind of hand it to you to start with Tom, but I, uh, I put a statistic in into the script, which I want you I want to see your reaction to that because I, th- I thought it was like a, a really sign of the times. Uh, so uh, what you want to tell people about that and your reaction to it? Well, I'm going to assume that you've given me a good statistic to work with, but the statistic that you've talked about is that in 2020, 81% of corporate law department hirings were for legal operations. And I have to say that based on my experience with uh, the clients that we have just in, in my organization, that's not surprising to me at all because I am frequently now um, dealing not with the general counsel, where I've dealt with on in so many occasions, or with the assistant general counsel, or or some somebody in that group, I am instead dealing with legal operations people, um, which and we can have this conversation, brings along a separate set of issues. It is not the same as working with the lawyers. That could be not necessarily great. It could be good. It doesn't. It depends, but there's an issue there. We could have a, a maybe a further discussion about that sometime. What's interesting to me about legal, about, uh, legal operations is I, I, my experience of them is that they all take a slightly different approach to how they want to staff people. Some people in legal ops have legal experience. Some have technology experience or both legal and technology experience. But a lot of these jobs and and what I'm seeing more of is that they require a different type of skill than most of us would have learned in law school. For example, business skills, um, business school. I am no business lawyer. I never was. I never will be. It's one of my one of the worst things I did in law school was learning about business law and about how to run a business and 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 accounts payable and financing and all that sort of stuff just goes completely over my head. But that is an area I think that legal operations really needs to rely on is running that law department more like a business. And these are crucial people. I would argue that um, unless you are a law student who also has a business degree, that's going to be a hard sell coming into legal operations straight from law school and that. Now, there will be some exceptions, but that's my that's my skepticism around going into legal ops from law school um, without the right without the right experience level for what they're looking for. Not surprisingly, time I, I dis I agree in some parts and I disagree in, in others. So, so what legal ops has become really interesting to me for is uh, and especially coming out of law school is that it gets you into the corporate world if you want to do that right and which opens up a you know different hours expectations uh sometimes uh you know the corporate benefit structure corporate education 
the ability to advance in different ways. Um, but I think in legal apps, it allows you to use a lot more of the skill set that you have um, and that you can, you, you're just better rounded. Um, and so, uh, I mean, typically people are going to be process oriented, uh, although sometimes legal, legal apps get involved in innovation, but process oriented, business oriented, um, uh, and just trying to do things better. And so sometimes that is a lot more uh, exciting for people doing, uh, especially people new to law who say like, I just don't want to do, you know, document review or these other things when I can do something where I can see this impact that I have. Um, and also I think that they, you know, the legal ops jobs tend to pay really, you know, really well. So uh, if you if you look at uh, what, you know, what the salaries might be in, in the legal ops world versus kind of what the average salary would be if you're coming out of law school, you know, and you're not going to big firm, it's, it's it can be really interesting for people who have the right backgrounds, and especially people interested in, in, in technology. Um, so that's a fascinating uh, world. And it opens some things up for people who go to law school and say like, wow, I, and now that I see what lawyers do, and the expectations and those incredible uh, hours expectations on on big law associates these days, it just it says what well, this this is kind of the, a, a better life and a better work life and maybe something I have more impact on than just kind of grinding myself down to to nothing. Let me just the only thing I will say is, and this is based on my experience with the legal operations groups that I've worked with with some of the clients who've had legal operations is. I think that the definition of legal operations varies widely from company to company. I think that that this is such a new area, relatively speaking, um, within corporations that we're still trying to figure out what that is. So if you are looking for a job in legal operations, understand that it's not going to be legal operations here is not going to be the same as legal operations there. I have the people that I work with all have different skill sets, not very, I will say, none of them are very skilled in technology. That is the number one thing that I've seen um, uh, on the legal operations people that I've dealt with. But I think that right now there's just not a lot of consistency, or at least that's not what I'm seeing. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's right, and uh, and and that's that's also an interesting uh, thing about these careers is you can kind of invent your own role uh, sometimes, and and there will be differences, and people are learning together, and the the legal operations group, which is known as Clock, is is really an interesting group and a, a helpful group as they try to define what this is. But when when they talk about it, it does vary a, a lot um, in in the way Way that, that people came up to into this. So Tom, I want to talk a little bit about if if somebody is interested in in these types of careers, and, and I think you're right, historically people have decided they just don't want to be lawyers anymore and, and kind of created new roles or been able to move to new things. But if somebody, you know, either in law school or early on in their career uh, wanted to kind of prepare for this route. What are the things that you would recommend? 
I will never discount the experience I had as a lawyer on where I went after that. I uh, I think that my experience in, of having practiced law benefited me and has benefited me everywhere since I practiced as a lawyer. Even when I was doing the technology support for the firm, being a lawyer at the same time was of great benefit to me because it allowed me to know how to talk to people in a way that they understood things um, because I was one of them. I, I, I thought the same way. I know how they were thinking. I knew how to, how to communicate with them. So I find that Going to law school is one thing. Being a lawyer for a short period of time is a very different thing. So, um, you know, there are a lot of the categories that Dennis talks about. Lit support, legal project management, process improvement, business development, innovation don't necessarily require the legal experience. You, I think that you can be successful in most of those jobs without having been a lawyer in the first place. But, but when I think about you know going directly from law school, I think what jobs are appropriate for someone coming directly from law school, the skills that um, I might gain in law school would be helpful to me. So jobs that require analytical thinking, jobs that require good communication skills. Um, I, I think of writers, I think of teachers, I think of legal startups, you know, innovation. I think those are the types of skills that I think law school is teaching. Of course, I'm speaking with a 30 year since I went to law school where law school has changed quite a bit. And I think, Dennis, you're going to want to talk about this, that there uh, not programs like yours didn't exist. And then there weren't nearly as many opportunities to practically apply skills before you got out of law school. So I imagine it's somewhat different. Um, And so maybe my opinions may be a little bit out of date, but um, that's kind of generally where I fall on this. Yeah. So my class at Michigan State, which is called Delivering Legal Services, the uh, students just did their presentations, which I call the pitch presentations for the new legal services they developed. And they were really cool, frankly. And the, uh, uh, but it is kind of interesting the questions it raises for people. Like, do, does it make sense to do the kind of traditional go to a law firm for five years, 10 years, uh, and then spin out and do these other things with that, what you've learned in a law firm? And I'm just not, I'm not convinced anymore that it is, um, you know, partly because of COVID uh, and there are some other things. But as the courts move online, as we're doing, we're using different types of, of technology, uh, you know, the, the skills you need uh, when you're online are, are different than in person. Um, and it's, I, I'm, I'm not totally convinced at this point. I mean, it's definitely a a hypothesis that I would I would look at to say, like, can somebody uh, who wants to, uh, you know, uh, do what I'll call modern jury consulting, who is interested in persuasion, online persuasion, you know, psychological, you know, impact of what you do. Is it necessary that they spend five years at a law firm where they actually they may not even get any trial experience or is what they're able to bring to it with their fresh perspective, you know, 
does it make sense to to jump right into it? So I think it's a really interesting time. And you also see people wanting to start legal tech companies and legal tech companies wanting to hire law students because they want like a little bit of, uh, they want sort of like the legal analytical skills um, and an understanding of what law is, but they also want the tech skills at the same time. So it's a really interesting time to say like, can you accelerate um, into an alternative career in a way that maybe you couldn't have done five years ago, let's say. So um, that's a fascinating thing. Um, and I guess, uh, Tom, I, I just wanted to jump uh, and, and talk briefly, you know, based on our own experience in the ABA and things we've been in, involved in, does it make sense? And I think the answer is yes to, to uh uh, but what are the types of groups, networking, th- you know, volunteering thing that people might do to if they want to to learn more or explore these careers? To be honest, I don't have a ton of exposure to some of those things. I mean, I think that that getting into I think that groups like the ABA, which opens you up to lots of opportunities or some of the other legal technology or um innovation, the hacking groups that are out there. Um, I, I think that making yourself available to the different opportunities that are out there, finding if if legal project management is your thing or you want to learn more about that, there are organizations that that handle all of it. Uh, you know, American Bar Association has got its fingers in a lot of those areas, and you can certainly learn and meet people who are doing those things. Um, but I imagine that local bars also have the same opportunities to a certain extent wherever you happen to be. Um, Dennis, I imagine that kind of with the work you're doing these days, you have better exposure to it. What what are you seeing as the best resources? Well, I think there are groups and it makes sense, especially if you're a, a student or a young lawyer, because all of these groups are looking to to become more diverse and uh, to bring in younger lawyers. So you you can find opportunities. And also, I just think pure networking these days, you know, LinkedIn and social media, um, other things is great because um, anytime you're looking at a new career, people are learning as they go and they're willing to share it. And they like finding people who want to do the same things because it could be somebody who, who would, who they'd like to see work with them. And so I think that um, I've always found people in the alternative careers to be very generous. And so it's it's worth pushing that. So as I tell my, my students that, uh, you know, just reach out to people and, you know, not everybody will, will answer you or talk to you, but a lot of people will, will spend some time talking to you and, and give you great advice and, and tell you about what it is that they did. So a lot of great information out there. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm really bullish on the alternative legal careers these days as, as law uh, and the practice of law changes, you know, as we go through COVID um, and you see all the changes, I think it's, you know, there's just going to be a whole new set of, of legal jobs that open up and uh, provide some cool opportunities. So that's a, a lot of the thinking I do and, and some of the programming we're starting to do at, uh, at Michigan State Center for Law, Technology and Innovation. So like I said, I'm bullish on it, Tom. 
Well, the uh, the only other resource that I would mention, and and I'm mentioning it mostly because I have recently subscribed to the newsletter and have been enjoying learning more about it, is um, I guess I would call her my Twitter friend, but I know you're you're friends with Cat Moon. The the design your Delta um, has got a lot of really good, interesting resources about. Um, lawyer competency, but also about careers for lawyers. It's not necessarily an alternative legal career site, but it's about trying to figure out what you're good at and how you can how you can figure out what your passion is. You know, it's I, I sort of like to think about this as as a, a, a Venn diagram of what do I do well, what do I want to do, and what will people pay for. And I think that this Design Your Delta is a way to start thinking about that. Yeah, good resource. And with that, let's uh, move on to our next segment. Before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best, so you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And it's time for a new segment we call Hot or Not. We pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it is hot or not. We might agree, but odds are that we won't. And we want your feedback on this segment. So let's get started. Tom, speech recognition and dictation. Uh, so I'm going with hot. I'm going with hot, 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 hot. Um, be, mostly because I would say that um, I think it's better than it's ever been. And gosh, I guess that just means that it's getting continuing to get better and better. I, you know, I, I have mentioned on this podcast before how much I like Google transcriptions. Google Transcribe, just open up your phone and start talking into it, and it gives nearly flawless transcriptions. Microsoft is offering, and I know Dennis, you're going to talk a little bit about this, is offering very, very high-quality transcription tools within Office products now. All of the all of your meeting tools now have the ability to um, to listen to your listen to your voice and give you transcriptions. Um, Zoom has the the capability. Microsoft Teams will record and transcribe actually live in the meeting. You you can watch the whole transcription and then download it at the end. Um, tools like Otter.ai um, and and some others are available out there to help do things. I, I'm just amazed at the different number of tools that can do it. But then I think. 
and I don't know if it was the reason why you wanted to put this on the list, but uh, just within the last week or two, um, there's Nuance, which is kind of uh, used to be the, the big name for lawyers. A dragon, naturally speaking, was something that all the law practice management folks would talk about and say, oh, you have to buy a dragon, naturally speaking. And I could just I could just picture people with their little transcri- transcription devices holding them in their hands, uh, talking into dragon, naturally speaking. And it's still around. And it's and not only is it still around, but Microsoft just purchased Nuance for $16 billion. Um, now, they bought it because it's going to be used to support its healthcare cloud services, its healthcare cloud business. So I'm, I'm guessing that that's giving medical professionals the ability to dictate your patient notes directly into the cloud is my guess where it's going to be. But what it shows is how big that that market still is and continues to be. And I think we've come a long way from Dragon, naturally speaking. And and the quality, I think, has improved all over the place, so much so that, uh, you know, I find that when I'm dictating to, to Google these days, um, instead of having to say comma and dash and period and, and, and insert stuff, it's inserting pr- punctuation for me without uh, me having to dictate it. So um, that's my long-winded way of saying I think hot indeed. Dennis? What about you? Yeah, I think it's on the uh, it's potentially on the verge of being hot. Um, so I agree with everything you said. I, I, it's sort of like this has snuck up on us a little bit, but you realize that you're you know you're you're talking to your Amazon Echo and Siri and and Google uh, assistant, and basically it it doesn't misunderstand you uh, at all. And then you know you're dictating texts, you're doing all these other things, and, and the quality is remarkable. And uh, I was uh, close captioning and Zoom, you know, just, it's really good. Uh, and so I, we were talking the other day, Tom, I, I was I was playing around with the uh, dictation in, in Microsoft Word, and it was really good. And when you think of what we thought was good back in the early days of Dragon, uh, naturally speaking, in the sort of 90% correct or even 95%, which was, you know, all but unusable, that I I realized I could do something now. And, and this is an experiment I'm going to do is is I'm just going to op- have an open Word document and and just, you know, as I have notes or ideas or whatever, just dictate into that document during the day and and you're right it, it does the punctuation and stuff and it's it's just surprisingly good and so I don't think people realize how good it is yet so I don't think people are jumping to it and it's still a little bit unnatural for some people to dictate as opposed to just type but I think it's really, uh, like I said, could be on the verge of being hot. And $16 billion investments uh, give you an idea that, uh, you know, where there's $16 billion investments, there might be a little fire under that smoke. Now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So my parting shot this week is a new tool called Trove. We have been talking on our Second Brain episodes about how we want to get information into our Second Brain and specifically Notion. 
Trove is a tool that helps you do that. So Trove is essentially a browser extension. Um, it's available in Chrome. I believe it's available in Firefox. Not sure about Safari, um, but it is available in, in, in the Chrome and, uh, and Firefox browsers. Once you install it, if you're on a website and you see something that you want to send to, to Notion, all you need to do is highlight it. You just have to highlight it and then you click Control D and a little box pops up and says, where in Notion do you want to send it? And it goes automatically to Notion. You can just highlight a sentence, a paragraph, a whole article. You can send a whole URL to Notion just by hitting Control D. It's an incredibly powerful tool just for that little bit of stuff that it does. And it's fitting a nice need for me, um, a, a, a gap that I had in saving information into Notion that I might just come across on the web that I wanted to quickly save. So Trove, we'll have the link in the show notes. It's taking all all of my willpower not to go uh, download and install that. It takes about uh, ten. Takes about speak. ten seconds. Yes. <laughs> so I've been thinking a little bit about infographics lately, and uh, you know how can we visually display data in, in a way that's that's really effective? And this has kind of bubbled up from time to time over the last few years, but. My friend Allison Shields, actually friend of the show, Allison Shields Joes, who uh, still may have the record for most guest appearances on the, the podcast, wrote an article called Tools to Create Infographics Easily. Okay, so I love the title, and that's what I'm looking for. So short article gives you an easy introduction, a couple, couple tools you can use to, to create these little uh, infographics that give you a more visual display of information. And people really like that, and it, and it helps people understand what you're doing, give other insights. And as we look at ways to communicate more effectively with people, either in the practice of law or outside it, infographics uh, is something that I think does make sense. And this is this is a, a good intro. That's on her uh, legalese blog, um, and we'll have we'll have that in the show notes. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous episodes along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn or send us a voicemail. We'd love to answer your question in a B segment. That number is 720 441 6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.